You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to reflect the generous heart of Jesus. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and seeing some of the things that it says there about generosity. But before we take a look at that passage of Scripture, I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who have been supporting this podcast. Many of you know that each week at the start and at the end of each uh, episode, we share a couple quick ways that we'd encourage you to support this ministry if it's something you feel led to do. One of the quick ways you could do so is by leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes. Uh, You could also go to our website, which is pastor.us, and uh, there's a link there to support our hosting or production costs and and uh, people chip in all sorts of amounts. Some people chip in a dollar, some people chip in more, but we're grateful for any amount if that's something that you feel led to contribute toward. And uh, we also have some resources at pastor.us, various books and resources that uh, you can purchase. There's links for them there, and we hope that they're useful to you in your walk with Christ. We make them available there on the website. So if you've never stopped by pastor.us, our website, do so and uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. And if there's a way that we could be praying for you, don't hesitate to click on the contact link and send us a prayer request. We've noticed that some of you have started doing that, and so So we're trying to be faithful to pray for each and every need as it's brought to our attention during the course of the week. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're going to be talking about the idea of the generosity of Christ and what it looks like to reflect the generosity of Christ in our day-to-day life. And as I was looking over this scripture this past week and spending some time reading it, one of the things that it reminded me of was an opportunity that I had a bunch of years ago, in fact, it was about 20 years ago, to actually meet my favorite musician at the time. I don't know if you're familiar with a man named Rich Mullins, uh, but Rich Mullins passed away about 20 years ago, and about six months prior uh, to him passing away, I actually had the opportunity with a, a group of other college students to host a concert for him. Uh, and I was extremely excited to be able to do that because that was, uh, he was my, my absolute favorite musician. I had every one of his albums and I was doing my best all throughout the course of the experience to, to not let on to the fact that I was as big of a fan of his music as I was. But I, I, I was enamored with the fact that I had the privilege to hang out with him for most of a day. My task when we were hosting that concert was to basically make sure whatever needs he had were met. Uh, I had the opportunity to go out to eat with him and with his band and just try and make his stay with us as comfortable as possible to make sure that he knew where he was going uh, in and out of uh, town. And I remember asking him where he and the band wanted to go to eat. And, you know, I had a budget. We could have gone to a nice restaurant, but he asked me, do you have an Arby's nearby? And I remember thinking that that was odd. And I, I even said to him, I said, we could go to someplace nicer than Arby's. I, I have a bigger budget than uh, Arby's. And he said, no, I, I recognize that. But he said, Arby's has really good Jamocha shakes, and I'm really craving one. And he also said, it's probably not a wise thing to drink a milkshake right before you sing for a concert. But he really just wanted a Jamocha shake. So I said, yeah, we got an Arby's. And uh, so I took him and his band to Arby's. And for whatever reason, while we were there, I think I was trying to be sensitive to the fact that the budget that I was spending money on wasn't my personal money. It was 
um, you know, just part of like the student activity fees money uh, of the university. And so I remember thinking, all right, I'll get food for them, but I'm not going to buy anything for me. I'll just I'll just eat when I'm on campus. And so I sat there with Rich and his band and I didn't get any food. And obviously that, you know, that creates kind of an awkward circumstance for everybody else when they realize you're not eating, you're just sitting there. That was kind of ridiculous. I should have gotten something to eat. But Rich took a napkin and he put it in front of me and he started taking some of his French fries and putting them on that napkin so I had something to eat. And I don't know if you've ever had French fries at Arby's, but they have these really good curly fries, they're called. And uh, I like them. They're tasty. They're kind of seasoned. I kind of have a weakness for fried foods anyway. But he started putting those things in front of me. And I remember thinking, all right, eat these slow so they don't run out right away. And uh, so he can actually have a full meal without feeling like he needs to load me up with his food because he's feeling bad for me. But I finished them. I think I finished them too quickly. And, uh, and he loaded me up with more. And I remember at the time being very impressed with his generosity, because when you're meeting, there's a danger when you're meeting your favorite musician, because if you're meeting your favorite musician, this person that you've looked up to and you've appreciated their music and you've enjoyed their lyrics, you're always worried if they're going to be as nice in reality as you think they're going to be based on listening to your to their music. And I was uh, certainly concerned that maybe I wouldn't like him as much once I met him in person, but I have to say I, I think I liked him even more after having had that experience. But I, I was just impressed by his generosity. And even as we were leaving the restaurant, there happened to be a couple that came into the restaurant right as we were leaving. And they had their young son, I believe, with them. And they, they noticed that Rich Mullins was there. And they asked him, they, are, are you Rich Mullins? And he said, yeah. And, and they said, well, what, what are you doing? And, and he said, well, I have a, a local concert. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We, we, we noticed that. We wanted to go to that. And he's like, oh, are you going to be there? And, he, and they said, no. No, we don't really have the money to do it right now, but uh, we're glad we got to meet you in person. And then he looked at me and he said, hey, John, I, I think I get some seats, right, that, that you know, that I'm allowed to use for, for different people, right? Is there any way you could get them in and maybe they could sit in some of those seats that I was given? And I said, absolutely. You know, if they're if you want them in, they're they're coming into the concert. And he's like, oh, he's like, all right, just follow us. John will get you in. And uh, I remember being very entertained as if I had some sort of special authority. But basically, I just told security when we got back to the university, these are friends of riches, let them in. And they said, okay. And they gave them front row seats to the concert. So again, I was just impressed by the spirit of generosity that I saw on display from someone that I looked up to. And I was just thinking about that again. That's one of my favorite stories to tell. Uh, but I was thinking about that as I was looking at this scripture this week, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it talks about generosity, and it gives us a picture of what it means to reflect the generous heart of Christ. Now, what I'm going to do to start us off, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, but I'm going to start us off by just reading the first seven verses, and I want to have a word of prayer for us, and then we'll look at some of the other parts of this chapter in just a few minutes. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1, this is what we read. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, 
and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture that speaks about your generosity and how your generosity is to be a a mindset or an attitude that is practiced or made visible through us, we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to follow that kind of example as it's outlined and explained in this portion of Scripture. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be generous as your heart is generous, and that that would be something that you would use to bless many people for your glory. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to look at your word right now, and we pray that you would speak to us through it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've been looking through the book of 2 Corinthians together, one of the things that we've noticed is the fact that the Apostle Paul is very intent on helping the church at Corinth grow mature in their faith. Uh, They were relatively young Christians, And they were living in the midst of a culture that was trying to drag them in unhealthy directions, not unlike what it's like for us to live during this era of time. We wrestle with these things as well. But there were all sorts of pressures, internal pressures, uh, external temptations, uh, all sorts of things like that that were dragging the people of Corinth in directions that they shouldn't go. And yet the Apostle Paul was inviting them to repent to turn back to God, and to grow mature as the Holy Spirit fostered that maturity within them. And there were certain areas that they were excelling in. There were certain areas that they displayed a high degree of maturity. And there were other areas that Paul was continually pressing them to just grow in and to give themselves over to Christ in. And in this portion of Scripture, we can see that he was encouraging the church at Corinth to practice generosity, to let their hearts and their lives reflect the generous heart of Christ. And we saw that in these opening verses that I read just a moment ago. And one of the principles that the Apostle Paul illustrates in these opening words in this chapter is this concept of being more generous than anyone would naturally expect. He shares with them an example of what it looks like to be more generous than anyone would naturally expect. The Christian life is one in which we experience immediate salvation through faith in Jesus, and then gradual growth as the Holy Spirit helps our faith to mature. When I was a new believer in Jesus Christ, there were some areas of my life that I welcomed him to quickly change me, and then other areas that I can tell I was resisting his help. And one of the areas that took me a while to value was the area of generosity. It wasn't something I immediately valued. Uh, Because of my family situation when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And to the best of my ability, particularly when I was a teenager, I would try to earn money. And I usually worked two or three jobs at the time uh, to do so. In fact, I had a job before school, I had a job after school, and I had a separate job that I worked on the weekends. And once I had money from working those jobs, 
I wasn't very eager to part with it because I was fearful that we wouldn't have enough, so I didn't want to let it go. But the downside of that is that when you treat money as if it's the source of your happiness and as, as if it's the, the source of your security in this world, it transitions from being a tool and eventually becomes the God you worship. And that's a dangerous transition. In time, the Lord helped me to see the value of financial generosity, and that's something we're trying to pass down to our children as well, who have now started working. I have several teenage children, and uh, they've, began, they've, they've started working, and they work regularly, and they earn good money doing what they're doing for the amount of time that they put in as teenagers. And there's a pattern that my wife and I have encouraged them to follow. And the financial pattern that we're encouraging them to utilize is this. We encourage them to to give 10% of what they earn, to spend up to 20% if they feel like doing that. They certainly don't have to, but to spend up to 20% of what they earn, and then to save 70% of what they earn for things like cars and college. Because right now they don't have any, any bills So they can save a larger portion of income. But once they're outside of our home and they have rent or other bills, then we encourage them to flip the 70% and the 20% allocations. So to use the 70% at that point for their daily expenses and then utilize the 20% for savings. But we hope that they'll still continue the pattern of giving at least 10%. And something else that my wife and I have decided to do is we let our kids see where our household money is going. And we joke about this. So if you know my kids personally, don't ask them, but they can tell you how much we give as a family. They know exactly how much we donate. Uh, They can tell you how much we have saved. So they know how much is in our checking account. They know how much is in my retirement accounts. And they also know how much I still owe on my mortgage. And I let them see these things because we want to be transparent. We want them to see that we're practicing Christian generosity and Christian stewardship that's consistent with what we're teaching them to practice. And when you look at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, you can see that generosity was something that the Apostle Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth to value. At the time, there was a great financial need among the Christians who lived in Jerusalem. So you have the Apostle Paul encouraging churches in other regions to try and help meet those needs through generous giving. And Paul showed the Corinthians that the church in Macedonia, which was a church that was certainly not as financially well-off as the Corinthians were, had been very generous in what they had collected for the church at Jerusalem. And they gave as the Lord prompted them, and they were more generous than anyone would have expected. This was a pattern the Corinthians were being called to emulate as well. Since Paul says they excelled in other areas like faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, they were also being invited to excel in generosity. And when I think of the concept of generosity, and when I think of how that's played out even in the midst of the church uh, context that I pastor in, I can testify that if the Lord had not inspired within the hearts of, of our church family to be generous— we would not be able to support the ministry of the local church financially. We wouldn't be able to do something that we're doing as a church mission project of planting a sister church in a neighboring town. 
Uh, we wouldn't be able to support missionaries in foreign countries. We wouldn't be able to support uh, summer camping ministries. We wouldn't have been able to hire a youth pastor this year. And our efforts as a local church to be witnesses of Christ's gospel in our community would have been severely hindered. But by God's grace, there are people within our church family who, instead of worshiping what the Lord has blessed them with, they use those resources as tools in their worship of the Lord, and they give as he leads, where he leads, in ways that are more generous than this world would naturally expect. And it's all done for Christ's glory, knowing that everything we have is on loan from him in the first place. And that was something the Apostle Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth to excel in, to be more generous than anyone would naturally expect. And that's something we're invited to adopt as a principle for living as believers in Jesus Christ as well. Now, there's another principle in this passage that I want to stress as well, and that's uh, found in verses 8 to 11, where the Apostle Paul basically tells us that generosity is a response to the grace that we have received from Jesus. So that's what generosity is. It's this idea of responding to the grace that we've received from Jesus. This is the way he phrases it, starting in verse 8, and I'll read down to verse 11. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. If we are sincere believers in Jesus Christ, Everything in our lives should be viewed from the lens of who he is, what he's done, and what he's continuing to do on our behalf. He has granted us new life. He has rescued us from the penalty of our sin. He's present with us right now to comfort us, to empower us, and to guide us. And he has granted us victory over death through his resurrection. There may be quite a few challenges that we're facing today, and certainly many more things that we'll face in coming days, but we can never lose sight of how wonderful our Lord has been and continues to be to his family. He has blessed us far beyond anything we could have ever asked and anything we ever would have deserved. Paul made a point to remind the church of Corinth of that very truth because he knew how easy it can be at times for us to get so used to the Lord's blessings and presence that we start taking it for granted. Paul pointed out that Jesus, who spoke creation into existence and had everything at his disposal, became poor in this world in order to provide the riches of a heavenly inheritance and the riches of an eternal life to all who would trust in him. Jesus experienced pain so that we would experience joy. Jesus took on death so that we would experience life. Jesus was attacked so that we could experience peace. And he did this all in love, with the joyful knowledge set before him that if he endured this all for us, it would benefit us forever. In fact, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now Jesus invites us to live in response to his grace. Generosity is one way to respond to the grace we have received from Jesus. This glorifies Christ because what it does is it shows an appreciation on our part for what he has done. This also, as Paul says in these verses, benefits us. It contributes to our ability to be grateful. It allows us to, in a sense, test God and see that he doesn't leave us without what we need when we're generous with what he's already given us. In fact, I have to say, I can testify from personal experience that I have never been able to exceed God's generosity. I know I'm far from wealthy by this world's standards, but I am convinced that our household finances have actually improved, not worsened, once we got serious about practicing Christian generosity. It reminds me of something found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And I want to read that verse quickly, and, I, and I'll share uh, in just a moment some thoughts related to that. But in Malachi 3, verse 10, it says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, as I read that verse, let me clarify something. This was a verse that was spoken to the people of Israel who, under the old covenant, were required to give a tenth of what the Lord had blessed them with. Now, I recognize we're not under the old covenant. We aren't required to give grain offerings and things like that like they were. But there's a principle here that we should not miss. If we are grateful for what the Lord has blessed us with, we need to make a choice regarding what we're going to do with those blessings. Are we going to keep them, or are we going to share them as he leads? And if he leads us to be generous and share them, do you suppose he'll notice our obedience and meet our future needs? Or do you think he's going to bail on us and say, ha ha, I tricked you. Now I've got your money and, and you can't heat your house this winter. Or do you think God's going to act consistent with his character and meet our needs according to his will? I believe that the Lord will act consistent with his character and that he's going to meet our needs according to his will. He may not meet our greeds. He may not meet all the things that we want in this world. But he does meet our needs according to his will. And generosity is a response to the grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. There's one other principle that the Apostle Paul brings out in this passage that I want to stress, and it's found in verses 12 to 15, where he encourages the church at Corinth, and likewise us, to faithfully steward whatever the Lord blesses you with. This is what it says in verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I bought a book this week that 
I used to have a copy of, but no longer do. Um, I have a philosophy now regarding the books I own. They're valuable to me in that they help me learn what I need in order to do my job well, to prepare sermons and to teach and to study up on the background of, of uh, Bible passages and things like that. And people often ask me to borrow my books. And I've noticed through the years that when I lend books out, I often don't get them all back. So I don't lend books anymore. I give books away. Now, I'd be happy to get them back, but if I ever lend you a book and you forget, I've already made peace with that fact in my heart that I may never see that book again, and that's okay. So that's why I had to buy uh, a book this week that I had already owned. I lent it out, I think it was about eight years ago, I lent it out to another pastor, in fact, and he never returned it. <laughs> and uh, and that's fine. I hope he makes good use of it. He probably doesn't even remember that he has it. Uh, so in my mind, I think, you know what, don't lend books. Just give them away. And if they come back to you, great. But if not, then you don't have to worry about it. Just treat them all as if you've given them away. Because the truth is, when I look at my library of books, plenty of my books came from the libraries of pastors who have now passed away, and their wives have shared their books, their libraries, with other pastors. And I noticed when those pastors passed away that they didn't get to take their books with them. So that seems to tell me that I'm probably not going to be able to take my books with me as well. So I might as well seek to be a good steward of whatever the Lord has blessed me with and share the blessing with others as I have opportunity to do so. Because the things we have on this earth are really just things that are loaned to us. They don't belong to us when we truly think about them from an eternal perspective. And in many respects, what they are is a stewardship test that shows which we love more, the Lord or his blessings. Do you ever ask yourself that question? Which do I love more, the Lord or his blessings? And you have the Corinthians here being encouraged to consider this fact in how they utilized what had been entrusted to them. Keep in mind that Paul was not encouraging the Corinthians to give what they didn't have. He wasn't trying to make life cushy for the church at Jerusalem while overburdening the church at Corinth. But what he was doing was reminding them that since they had been abundantly blessed spiritually by the fact that the gospel first spread from Jerusalem then to their city— as people from Jerusalem, even people like we would say the Apostle Paul in particular, had come ultimately from Jerusalem now to Corinth um, and spread the gospel there, that they could in a sense return the blessing by sharing out of their abundance by meeting the financial needs of the Jerusalem Christians, because the Jerusalem Christians were under a great amount of financial strain. They had a lot of financial stress because there had been a famine in that area, so for a season of time there wasn't a whole lot of food and uh, people were definitely feeling the effects of that. But many of the Christians living in Jerusalem were also being treated like social outcasts by people who were not crazy about the fact that they were Christians, and so they were ostracizing them, and that certainly inhibited some of them from being able to earn a healthy living. And so Paul encouraged churches like the church at Corinth and like the church at Macedonia to share with the needs of the Jerusalem church, to help meet their needs physically or materially or financially, because when you think about it, the spiritual blessings that the church at Macedonia and the church at Corinth had experienced had a connection to the church at Jerusalem. And you have Paul quoting from Exodus chapter 16 to drive this home. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, traveling from Egypt toward the Promised Land, 
the Lord miraculously supplied bread for them from heaven. It was called manna, Scripture says, and it would fall from the sky, and they were to only gather up enough for one day, except on the day before the Sabbath when they were told that they could gather uh, gather up enough for two days on that day. And whoever gathered much, the Scripture says, had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little didn't lack what they needed because God supplied. The people ate, and their needs were met. And that's a principle that God continues to this day. He meets the needs of his children. I don't know what kind of car you drive, but many of the people I know drive Ford vehicles. And uh, Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, is certainly an interesting person to do a little research on. But uh, I read something recently about him, and it says that Henry Ford happened to be at the time vacationing in Ireland. And while he was there, Obviously, people knowing that he was a very wealthy man, he was asked to contribute toward a new orphanage that was being built. And so he wrote a very generous check for 2,000 pounds, and it was considered so generous that it actually made headlines in the local newspaper. But the newspaper inadvertently, and to my understanding, innocently reported the gift wrong. They put the wrong number in. Whoever was doing the typing or whoever was doing the printing printed it incorrectly, and instead of it saying 2,000 pounds... The article actually said that Henry Ford had pledged to give 20,000 pounds. And when the director of the orphanage found out about it, he apologized profusely to Ford. And he said, listen, I'll phone the editor straight away. I'll tell him to correct the mistake. I'm very sorry that that happened. And Ford looked at him and he said, you know what? There's no need for that. And he took out his checkbook and he promptly wrote a check for the additional 18,000 pounds and made sure that the orphanage was aptly and generously supplied. I thought that was an interesting story when I read it, and it's just a good reminder to be generous with whatever the Lord entrusts to us. I've also heard it said, I read this in a book quite some time ago, um, do, you ever, do you ever go out to eat breakfast? Um, have you ever noticed that when you go out to eat breakfast that breakfast food is much cheaper than what you might be able to get at lunch or certainly what you might pay at dinner time? And uh, the author of the book had said that he encourages others, and he makes it a personal point, to over-tip breakfast waitresses, because he realized that even though they're working just as hard as everybody else, meals are a lot cheaper at breakfast time, and they tend to not make as many tips. And ever since I read that, I thought, well, that's a good philosophy when you consider that these are people trying to make a living by serving you and by trying to meet your needs and provide food for you. So what does it hurt to tip a little bit more than the 15% or 20% or 25%? Tip a little extra because breakfast food's cheap. Practice generosity. And I think that's something that the Lord wants to be a mindset or a heart attitude that we practice because we've been recipients of so much generosity from Jesus Christ. And being that our ultimate needs have been met in Christ, he calls us to live generously in this world. And in fact, Scripture tells us that Christ is lavish in his blessings toward us. I like what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, when you look at verses 7 and 8, it says this. We read, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
He lavished these things upon us. He just so generously has blessed us with redemption, with forgiveness, with the riches of his grace. He's just lavished these things upon us, and he invites us to reflect his generous heart as we live our lives in the midst of this world. So when it's within your power to display a visible example of the generosity that Christ has shown you, never hesitate to bless others in his name from the abundance that he has blessed you with. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for the many different ways that you have chosen in your grace to bless us. We know, Lord, that we don't deserve any of these blessings, but we're so grateful that you willingly and joyfully have chosen to share with us from just your abundant riches. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you have provided everything that we need for life and godliness. We know that you're present with us. We know that our future is secure in you. And we know, Lord, that we have an inheritance in your kingdom that can't be corrupted. It won't spoil, it won't fade, and it won't be something that is lost or stolen like the things of this world so easily are lost or stolen or ruined. We're grateful, Lord, that you've chosen to bless us and that you are so generous toward us. And we pray, Lord, that as you have so richly blessed us in so many ways by forgiving our sins, by granting us new life, by allowing us to have your wisdom and to see this world with your eyes and to experience this world with your heart, Lord, we pray that as we recognize that you have done all of this for us, that we would reflect your generous heart in the context that you have placed us in, and that as we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ, And likewise, Lord, as we interact with anyone that you allow us to cross paths with, that your generous heart would be on display in and through us. We're grateful for all of these things, Lord. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us first and that you are present with us today. We commit this day, we commit this week to you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. We're always grateful to be able to bring these episodes to you each and every Monday. And um, we're also grateful for the fact that many of you have chosen to partner with us in this ministry to do this. Likewise, if uh, you might be interested in partnering with us, there's a variety of ways to do so. A couple quick ways. I mention them every week. But basically, if you'd leave us a rating or review on iTunes, that's one way you can partner with us. If you want to help support the the costs of our hosting or production, there's a link to do so on our website, which is pastor.us. And there's a whole bunch of resources there that I hope at some point you'll take the opportunity to check out. And if there's anything useful there to you, just download it, use it, share it with others. Uh, We have links to a variety of things on our our books page, and again, we hope you'll check it out. And the link to do so is pastor.us. So thanks again for listening today. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to getting together again with you next Monday. Have an awesome week. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. The love of God is immeasurable, it's unchanging, it's indescribable, because God loves you so much 
you can sleep through the night in peace with abide bible sleep meditation you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on scripture to start listening now go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for abide bible sleep meditation you can also download the abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com